Morning everybody. I have no voice this morning. Uh, actually I have about 20% more voice than I had yesterday. Um, yeah, Sam mentioned we've got some really exciting things coming up over the next couple of, um, over the next couple of months and uh, one of those things uh, has meant that we've had the opportunity to invite leaders from around our state on, um, on the Friday before our conference here on the Saturday. We've, uh, we've got a leaders lunch and I started out inviting a couple of uh, leaders that I had contact with and thought, wouldn't it be great to have a conversation around what it looks like to be part of gospel transformation in our city? And so as we started to gather leaders, um, we kind of got like the most incredible response we could possibly imagine. And like no one has said no. So then we just started getting ambitious and started inviting leaders of denominations and they all were in. Um, our latest invite has gone out and ten we have a tentative yes from the Anglican Archbishop of Perth, which is, she's like world news right now because she's the first Anglican Archbishop who is a woman. So th this is the crowd we're gathering on Friday and they're all get, like inviting their uh, networks to come along on Saturday. So get, what I'm saying is definitely get your tickets uh, because uh, we're, we've already uh, organised an overflow plan possibly with Riverview up the road. Uh, but you don't, I don't want you guys to be in the overflow. I want you guys to be in the room. And so um, it would be great if you guys can get online and book that. Um, same goes with Brooke. Um, we have, like, she's uh, got a lot of networks over east that connect in with people here, and so they're all getting invited for Sunday. So don't be late to church that Sunday, or you may not get a park, or you'll have to, like, walk um, from quite far away, so make sure you get in on time. Um, but how incredible that God would use our little church in Joondalup. Um, and uh, I think I, I just keep uh, thinking of the scripture that really, I, I guess, our namesake, but like, um, you know, that the, the whole concept of the cornerstone, like being the stone that the builders rejected, you know, we don't necessarily, might not necessarily feel like we can do much individually or even as our little church, but our God is a great God, amen? And our God is a God that has a plan and is, is not beyond him to do something incredible with a little community in Joondalup. Um, and so uh, if you're interested in knowing a bit more about what's going on uh, with that, I'm happy to catch up and meet with you. But also if I have been a little less available than usual, that kind of gives you a bit of an overview of why. Um, one of the other reasons why I've been a little less um, than immediately available over the last, and probably why uh, the voice is going, is um, part of that uh, networking, gathering, connecting with people um, has kind of produced a little idea that we started to run with. And um, after hearing, I, um, I spoke last week and let everyone know about the, um, the food distribution or the food um, security network that uh, we as churches in the north have uh, committed to providing for uh, CARAD. It's a um, um, non-church-based uh, organisation that supports refugees. And so we are able to partner with them and say you can refer uh, groups or individuals, families that are in need uh, to different uh, churches that are near them 
Uh, every day of the week there's a place that they can send someone in the north. Now I'm meeting on Thursday with the East and Central Network. And out of that we've had more interest from other um, other churches who want to do something and uh, we probably, we, we've got enough interest now in the east and the north to provide the food security network but there's some things that are really hard to get hold of um, there are some things that are needs that we don't um, you know have don't like don't food donations for and things like that so started thinking maybe our churches could be uh, working together to do something to help meet those needs and so uh, we have a little idea on the go now and we'll be launching the campaign over the next couple of weeks uh, called One Single Act of Compassion and on that day, um, so between uh, now and then it'll be advertised but for a month leading up to the last Sunday in November, churches will be so churches that sign up will be allocated an item that they're to gather. So say uh, we might be allocated toothbrushes. And so our church will gather what, through whatever networks, through whatever donations we can get. We can buy one extra in our shopping each week. Whatever each person can do to contribute to that effort in this church. And we'd gather, you know... Uh, a semi-truck worth of, not really maybe in, in this community, but some of the churches we've already got on board are quite capable of gathering literally semi-truck, you know, semi-trailer trucks worth of goods. And so, um, you know, we're going to allocate the items based on need and the size of the community. And on this one day in November, we actually have a vision to collect enough for a year worth of supplies uh, to be able to go back and how incredible that that would be not one church, not one denomination, not one network, but the church in Perth bearing witness to the fact that God cares about the least and the last and the left out. That God would care enough for every individual's needs that he would make a way. And that God has purposed us to do something good in the world. Amen. Well, interestingly, with all of that going on, I'm speaking this morning and I gave my message the title of Overcoming the Myth of Not Enough. Kind of wanted to call it the prosperity problem, but we'll go there later. I'm going to read from Exodus 16. I'll just open up. You can turn there. We've got the first few verses because I'm going to be referring to them that are up here. So starting in verse 2. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, they will prepare what they bring in and it will be twice as much as what they gather 
on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what, we are, uh, for what are we that you complain against us? asked Moses. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining against, uh, that you utter against him. Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard. It goes on and basically explains the process by which God provides for the Israelites and completes... Uh, by repeating the instruction to gather enough for the Sabbath on the day preceding it. And this is, to give you a little bit of context, this is the instructions given to Moses as he's led the people out of Egypt. Interesting that we sang some songs about being no longer a slave. And this morning, I want us to take note of the fact that Moses led the people out of Egypt, but God had to lead the Egypt out of the people. They began to complain and say they wanted the old way. God had led his people with a promise to take them to a place that we refer to in the biblical text as the promised land. This was a good thing to come. It was good for them. They had freedom for the first time in generations. They were led out of this place that in that, you know, in that situation they understood was not good. But as soon as they were away, they desired what looked good from the outside. Our human nature does this, whether we've been there or not. We look at situations from the outside in and we desire what looks good from the outside without really realising what's keeping people captive on the inside. We desire the ways of the world. We desire the wants of the world. We desire the things that people project as their success. We desire to have it all and do it all and, you know, travel the whole world and, and you know, have all the recognition, all the fame, you know, whatever it is that's your vice that you see in someone else and desire to have more of. And we always look at it and think, how great would that be? without recognising what keeps people captive in those circumstances. We don't, even if you've been there, you won't recognise it when you're out of it, unless we keep our focus. And this is why we see, sing songs like, No Longer Slave to Fear. You are the God who's brought me out. This is why God taught his people in the Exodus to remember the things that he'd done. See, when we keep our focus on the God who brought us out and not the situation or the things that we're missing out on, this is where the people in this story start to get it wrong. They forget about the God who led them out. 
And so immediately Moses uh, takes his concern to God and says, what do I do with these people? They see that I'm at fault here. I've led them out. I've called them to this thing and, you know, said we're going here and now we're in this situation and they're blaming me and God, why do I... And God says, they need to remember that it's me who led them out and it's me who provides. And when we remember that it's God that led us out and that it's God that provides for us today, we don't get caught up in the complaining. It comes down to a mindset of not enough. See, the problem with prosperity, as we might preach it or hear it shared, the problem with the idea of wealth and success, that kind of prosperity, not the real kind that the Bible talks about. And we'll talk about that a bit more down the track. But the problem with this modern concept of prosperity is that it says, I must gather all that I can have because there might not be any more in the morning. See, why would we hoard and store scarcity is something that says God might not have enough to provide for me in the morning. And the concept of holding wealth, the concept of prosperity and all of that comes down to this idea of scarcity that actually fails to place trust in our God. See, wealth has no value except for bread for today unless we develop a myth of scarcity. Unless we think there might not be enough for tomorrow, then there's no value in having more than we need for today. Unless we think there's not enough to go around, then there's no point in us having more than someone else. And so wealth, riches, and all that the world has to offer is a distortion that takes or destroys our faith in God, who is our provider. And the problem with the prosperity gospel is that it says that God is my provider and he will provide everything I ask for, but fails to recognise that Jesus said he came to bring good news not to the privileged, but good news to the poor. And so if the gospel that we get a hold of is good news for us, I think I mentioned this last week, if, it's good, if, if our business succeeding is good news for us, and of course it would be. Is it God? Well, maybe. The way to find out is to ask, is it good news for the people who work for you? Is it good news for the people manufacturing what you sell? Is it good news for the environment where your business is located? Because we know that our God is a God who promises wholeness and flourishing but the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy so if we're stealing 
by not paying people a fair wage or if we're destroying the earth to make a profit. This isn't God's version of prosperity. This isn't the gospel. This is the problem with prosperity. See, we were born, created in God's image. And sometimes we talk about our own human condition as if we're born, created in the enemy's image. You ever wonder about that? We talk about like our natural tendency and yes, there is the human condition is we are in a fallen state and we don't have it all together, most certainly not. You only have to take a look around the world to see that this is a broken world. But we're not created to steal, kill and destroy. We're created to care. We're created to love one another. We're created in the image of a God who loved us so much he gave of himself. We talk like we're made in Egypt's image or in the empire's image and not in God's image and you only have to be around kids a little while and you'll see that yes the world corrupts us and we have this tendency to try and rely on ourselves and and that can lead us to a state of brokenness but there's something inherent in a baby that as they start to develop a language they express affection for people around them have you ever seen a little child when they're you know like not not even um you know able to talk very well and someone gets hurt and they go and and they want to kiss the hurt you know and they want to do something to make it better if we are created in God's image. That makes sense. If I, I remember my daughter when she was uh, my oldest, when um, when she was really small, and we'd had this um, sponsor child uh, for since actually since I uh, my first Christmas with Duncan, I told him that's what I wanted for Christmas that year. So um, he signed me up for a sponsor child, and and so I taught. Grace, when she was really little, like she had this thing about not wearing certain clothes. And uh, I remember our sponsor child, we got a photo that year. He was about six or seven at the time and he was wearing some like, um, like girls' pants. They were clearly girls' pants in the photo. And Grace was having this meltdown about the boots because they didn't have a heel on them. And, and she was like, it was a thing at two, of course. You know, that's normal, I think. Um, <laughs> So she's, I've shown her over the years, you know, as she was growing up, you, you know, like, you got to remember there are people like Samuel who don't have as much as we have and we shouldn't complain. Look at the clothes that he's wearing and that's probably his best clothes because he's had a, his photo taken in them. And so you've got to remember that you have more than you need. And uh, I remember her seeing a little boy in the shop that looked like Samuel, and this is terrible and probably one of the things that's wrong with the way that, um, you know, teaching those things. But she assumed that because he looked similar to Samuel, he needed her sausage roll, so she went over to give it to him. And as kind as that was, we then had to talk about why you can't assume that everybody's the same just because of the way that they look and, you know, teaching moments. But, But it was out of that desire in her heart to help because she thought that he needed something. And, and the other day, Grace was, um, Grace was teaching... Uh, no, J- Tash was reading a story to, 
Thomas, and he's five, and it was about how um, selection, um, you know, like uh, at a, when animals have um, different uh, genetic uh, outcomes when, uh, and like so how the process of natural selection works and things like that. And, and there was a story about a bird with a short beak and a bird with a long beak and when the bird has um, a long beak and can get more food, it's more likely to live and so then that bird will have babies that have long beaks. And, and Thomas was like, okay, yeah, I get that, but like bird with the long beak should just get more food and give half of that more food to the bird with the short beak. <laughs> and I was like, that, that's impressive. Um, but, you know, there's something natural in kids that they, they know what's good and right. And yes, they don't always do it. Trust me, you only have to live with a toddler for a day to realise they want to challenge all of those things. But the way that we are taught to desire more is not a product of our inherent, you know, what God's created. It's not who we're actually designed to be. The desire to have and have too much, this greed comes from somewhere else. And I would call it the plan of the enemy. We might call it in the modern world advertising, commercialism, consumerism. But there is a message that is sold to us from the time we engage with any sort of media that says, you don't have enough. There's not going to be enough. You're never going to be enough unless you have this, unless you get these. If you have this, you'll be better. If you get this, you'll be closer to being enough. We're taught to desire more, to want more. I think an incredible um, overview of the way that um, since the Industrial Revolution that has been accelerated is the story of stuff online. Shows how out of control the idea of things going out of fashion was basically created to sell the idea that the perfectly good thing you have now is no longer okay. You need a different type of perfectly good thing, so you need to buy another thing, and and all of those systems generated to make us want more. And I had the privilege yesterday of hearing from the Bible Society COO Melissa Triz. Uh, Trisbet, and she is an incredible woman who has, um, you know, values the Word of God and has studied and and um, and is doing incredible work to bring the Bible to um, to people who otherwise would not have access to it. But she was explaining that there um, we cannot view. The idea that God wants to heal the world and bring health and wholeness as the idea that God wants to bring Western wealth to the entire world. Because if we did, we'd need five earths to sustain it. And so she was talking about how we need to review what we think it looks like to be prosperous. So we have this idea that it will never be enough that is ingrained because of the things that we watch. But our God says that he is enough. And this story about the way that they're taught to manage through the time that they're in the wilderness, in the Exodus, 
is about, it's not because this is God's plan that he would only ever put in our hand enough because we know that they come to a time where they cross over and go into the promised land and there is more than enough and there is the potential for people to take more than they need. They begin to farm. They begin to cultivate the land and and they begin to harvest. And so it's not because this is how God is always going to operate. This is because God had a plan for how he was going to take the Egypt out of the people. He was going to show them the way that he would provide for them and then ask them to obey. We talked a little bit last week about how the Sabbath weekly the Sabbath on a yearly basis and then the Sabbath on a year, seven yearly basis. It's like God taught them each in, like, in small increments how to take a bigger picture view of what he was teaching them on a daily basis. So in this he says, take enough on the day preceding the Sabbath that you'll be prepared for the Sabbath. That's important. Because we might think that if prosperity is the problem, then poverty is the solution. And that has been the religious mindset over, you know, it's like this pendulum swing, prosperity bad, let's give away everything and not have enough. We know Paul says, should I give away everything so that then you have to feed me? That's not logical either. So if we don't buy into the idea of scarcity, it doesn't mean... We don't plan ahead. And so I want to give you a few keys that this story gives us just quickly about how God was teaching his people and the keys that he's given us as to how we can operate by a system that looks more like a kingdom economy, not one that wants to go back to Egypt, not one that wants to go back into the ways of the world. See, we're baptised to become a new creation in him. And our church is the formation of a new thing that God is doing in the world. And it doesn't mean we go live out on a farm somewhere and, and not have anything to do with the, the world. In, it's that we're actually called to show the world a better way. Somehow, somewhere along the line, we bought into the idea that it was all about us getting more. I also heard a message, and it's a line I haven't heard for a really long time, but if, if you've been in Christian circles long enough, maybe you'll remember the, um, the saying, you know, you need to get under the spout where the glory comes out. You're like, maybe you're not Pentecostal enough. I definitely remember uh, that. As a, but it was, it was basically is like God is pouring out his blessing and you need to get like underneath his blessing and, and you know, gather as much of his blessing. As, and, and so in the context of this, um, you know, get under the spout, it was like, you know, because Jesus promised that he was bringing rivers of living water. So we need to, you know, we need to get there and we need to get more of the presence of God so that we can then get more of the blessing of God. Unfortunate connection when you're talking financial prosperity. But anyway, that is actually a misconception based on not reading that whole verse that Sam preached out of a little while back where it talks about how rivers of living waters will flow out. But do you know where the rivers of water flow out from? 
from the heart of the believer. So we think the rivers of living water are coming from God to the church and that's where the promise ends. And that's much of the modern church today. But the promise is actually that rivers of living water would flow out of the heart of every believer. And when you read what Sam shared uh, the other week was out of Ezekiel 47, which is the verse that Jesus, when he's talking about this, is he's alluding to. And it talks about what happens when the rivers flow into the world. And it talks about how trees would be planted alongside and there would be fruit and flourishing. There would be people that would come to the river to drink. They were coming to fish at the sides of the river And in Ezekiel's vision, it all flows out of the temple. We know that when Jesus is talking about it, he's standing on the steps of the temple that that verse is referencing. And he is speaking about how we are the new temple. So last week we spoke about how the Jubilee... The picture we're given there speaks of how the grace of God is enough and that if we will surrender to God's pattern for provision, then we can rely on him. I didn't mention last week, um, but that we were talking about the 70 um, times 7 which takes you to the full jubilee cycle. Do you remember another mention of 70 times 7? Where Jesus speaks about forgiveness and he says that we must forgive 70 times 7, not times 7, which alluded to the Sabbath, that forgiving on a week, uh, yeah, on a weekly basis, and on a yearly basis, every seven years, but the seventy times seven. So we know that God's grace is enough for us. And this picture of the Exodus, where God promises that if they are to rely on Him, then they'll gather up bread from the ground in the morning, and at night there was a swarm of quails that came across the camp where they'd stay and they would gather enough meat for the evening. It reveals God's provision. That God, our provider, wouldn't provide enough that we could have so much and gather up more than we need, but that he would provide enough for us to have each day. Here's the four principles out of that text. It says, uh, so first he starts by recognizing the problems that were coming when they were blaming each other for the lack or when they were blaming their leader for the lack. And so he says that they would recognize that it is my provision okay it's usually my phone I literally look for when that happens I'm like where's my phone I've left my phone on it's like nine times out of ten it's me at my own wedding that happened it was my phone Uh, uh, so (laughs) during the vows kid you not 
was my boss at work. So anyway, so unity was the unity was the goal that they would not fight amongst each other about who had enough, who didn't have, who wasn't providing. See, when we have to rely on another person to provide and we fail to recognize that our God provides, then when that doesn't come through, we can place the blame on someone else. But God is our provider. It goes on to talk about how every family, every household is charged to gather enough for their own household. This allowed for any family member that went without, for, for ones who were too young or too old to gather up, ones that were unable to provide for themselves, who were unable maybe because of sickness or disability or maybe they just couldn't get out of bed that morning. Who knows what's going on inside every household, but God in his instructions didn't say, each for their own, just forget everyone else. But he said, in every household, gather up enough. And all with enough. See, the instruction came that they would, should gather, gather enough for that day. And those who tried to gather enough. Does anyone know the story, know what happened for those who tried to keep more for the next morning? Maybe they didn't want to get up and work. Maybe they just wanted to have extra the next day. Who knows? Did anyone know what happened to? Yeah, it, it rotted. It became mouldy. Have you ever seen... Maybe what happens when you have too much stuff, even physically in your household, this happens. We fill our fridges and stuff at the bottom doesn't get used. We put more stuff on top. Maybe because you're not that great at doing the whole, let's rotate the, you know. But stuff goes mouldy before we even use it. We shove clothes in our wardrobes and toys in our kids' drawers to the point where one day you go to sort stuff or move house and you find that there are buried things that have gone mouldy or batteries have leaked out through things or like, and stuff is just rotting away. We literally live this out in our world of excess. We talked last week about the problem of what happens when we don't have enough or when we have too much. It's not just the stuff that gets corrupted, but greed creeps in. When we have too much, and that's not to acknowledge that there are so many even in our community, in our world, that don't have enough. And that's, I mean, that's not just their problem. That's those of us who have more than enough. But when we have too much, it becomes toxic. My slide says reparation. That's what happens when you type it up late at night. It means preparation. There's a P in that. God's instruction to give, uh, to prepare, gather enough for the Sabbath was actually something for me that as I was working through I guess my own convictions around these things sometimes your inclination as well should I only have enough in the bank to pay the bills this week and give everything else away but that's not how God instructs his people to live we should 
be preparing, and this is the most practical principle I guess I'm going to give you today, is that one of the things that God calls us to do as his people is to be in a position where we're preparing to be able to rest. And I'm not just talking like to be able to take Sunday off or to be able to retire. You know I'm saying? We should be in a position where we're not having to stress about uh, where the next bill is coming from. And that is a community responsibility. When we address the way that we do economics. When we... See, there are people that right now are going to stress on a daily basis about where their next meal is coming from and that's because of the system that we are operating in and there are so many things that are wrong with that and that's why we engage in the little things we can do as this community to say that it's not okay for someone to go without and so that act of jubilee comes in. We need to try and re-establish an equal. But where we have the opportunity and all of us should be working as hard as we can. We know when we read the Proverbs, it says that we should invest time in preparing for our future. It also says that we should work hard. Then we should be working towards and planning ahead, not just living with what's in our hand in a way that's frivolous or in a way that is excessive. See, when we don't plan ahead, we can easily take what's in our hand and go, well, this is the bread that you've given me today. But what if what God's given you today is enough for today and tomorrow? What if some of what God's put in your hand today is what he's given you to plan for tomorrow with? And we don't use that wisely. And so we need to be prayerful and we need to plan and we need to do the things that um, are in God's wisdom and to use the tools that we have in our hands to be able to plan ahead. That's not greed. That's biblical wisdom. That puts us in a position where our focus can be on serving God and loving others. It's up to each one of us to seek God for the conviction of what is what God's put in my hand for today? What is it that God's put in my hand for tomorrow? And what is it that God's put in my hand as a person in a privileged position? For those of us who are able, what is it that God's put in our hand to give? To make things right. I'm going to ask the band to join me. So to seek to store up, and we know that that's something that Bible tells us not to do, is to literally deny the power of God in our lives. To have too much is to buy into the world's scarcity lie, that there isn't enough. But God created a good world. There is enough. I think it's a Gandhi quote, there's enough for the world's need but not the world's greed. There is enough. And so we don't need to buy into the consumerist mindset. But you know what? 
I think we're not in the promised land in our walk in faith. We're probably somewhere on that journey where God is beginning to help take the Egypt out of us. And so that means revisiting things. It was incredible yesterday to hear uh, from Baptist World Aid talking about how they, uh, they, they put together the resource that, um, that is the ethical fashion guide. And almost every preacher who got up, uh, they got up and they did like an audit of their wardrobe. Um, and some, you know, recognised and, and shared that, you know, they were sad to find out that their shoes didn't get a good grade in the ethics, um, you know, department. And so, oh. but what an incredible example of how uh, a Christian organisation can lead the way. How God is leading the way in getting the Egypt out of us, that we wouldn't be willing to allow our good news of a $4 t-shirt to be not so good news to someone who's not being paid more than $4 a day. So the contrast of two stories I heard this weekend from preachers where one celebrated you know, that God provides and this incredible gift that they'd got given. And one celebrated nearly the same amount of money, but it was because of a giving effort that that whole conference that I was at was able to put together to send to Bangladesh uh, to work, uh, to put towards the Vulnerable Children's Fund to make sure an entire village would no longer sell their 12-year-old and above girls to, uh, into marriage. An entire village because of the act of one group of women at a conference whose girls for generations will be affected. That's the kind of prosperity that the Bible te- teaches us. And that's the provision that God promises. See, he promised that streams, rivers of living water would flow out of the heart of every believer because he sees a broken world that he wants to reach. And he's calling us as his people to preach a message of prosperity. But it might be good news to the person who's suffering that you preach it to and maybe not so good news to us sometimes. Because God is a God that provided for all. Go home tonight and read that passage in Ezekiel 47. And listen to what it talks about. In the last few chapters, it talks about how God called the children of Israel to give an inheritance to the alien, the stranger in their land and make them as 
one of their own. Because God's heart is not that a select few would have the good things that he's promised in this world, but that all the world would be filled with the knowledge of God. That the world that he created and he saw was good, that he would see coming to pass between people who he's created now, that those things would start to be realised again. And he is our provider. We can trust him because we know that he paid the price for us. See, all of that imagery around redemption, around Jesus being a sacrifice for us. It's all because what we sang this morning is true. We're no longer a slave to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. God didn't want us to desire to go back to Egypt, but to know his love and to make his love known. In the wilderness, God sent bread and meat. This, without going into detail, represents his purpose, his will, and the way, the life, the power, what we would call the grace, the blood of Jesus that gives us the ability to do that. He has empowered us, church, to be the people that he's called us to be and it's because of what he did at Calvary. Because he saw the need and he made a way. He sees your need. He sees our need. Right now, our need is great as a church. This is the reality. He sees our need and he has made a way. And we rely on him. Knowing that as those that needed to be reconciled to God, he saw our need. He made a way. going to ask the ushers to come and help us share communion today. Church, as we, as we come and gather around the communion table today, um, I think that what Pastor Tara shared today is so apt and it so f- uh, eloquently falls in line with, with what God did for us on Calvary. And as we remember um, what he did for us. Uh, remember, he gave. And that giving was sacrificial. That giving was without repentance. In other words, he gave completely. He didn't hold back anything. He gave himself fully. And in that act of giving, he actually gained everything. 
in that act of giving himself completely on Calvary, in that act of sacrificing his very life, he gained the whole world. In that act of making a way for us, in that act of providing a way for us to be reconciled to God, he gained everything back. We can look at the body broken on the cross. We can look at the blood spilled. And it can bring us to a place of going, why God? Why would you do that? Wasn't the sacrifice too much? And God's answer to us, no. It's what I needed to do. It's what I wanted to do. And it gained me everything. Because it gained me you. And you. And you. And you. And everybody else. In that one single act of sacrificial giving. In what appeared to be a complete defeat. He attained complete victory. And that's the same for us. What Pastor Tara said today was so unbelievable. The Bible speaks of holding too tightly onto stuff and losing everything. But when you let go, as God let go, you gain everything. As we come around the communion table today, remember what that body broken represents. Health, well-being, for your body, for my body. When you take the bread, stop, pause, think about what that body did for you. When we think of the blood, when we take of the cup, remember what that blood did. It brought us to a place where we can be reconciled to God, where we can say, God, I need you, where his blood is sufficient to wash away all that separates us from him. That's what that blood did. When you take of the cup, remember that. And let it be a joy. Let it fill your heart with gratitude and excitement. Let it be a great thing. Because that's what it is. As we come around the table, remember that this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come. You who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have come for the first time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed in following Jesus. And you who have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Amen. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary. Go and be a forgiver. Then run back. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It's God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter Him. And I pray that today you do. So come.